mine is going. First episode of the Bojack Horsecast. We are here to talk <laughs> oh, about wow. Bojack okay. Horse. That's why all that stuff we've been doing for weeks didn't that show didn't have a name. People don't realize that that was just a filler. That was a placeholder for this. What we were supposed to be doing this whole time, Bojack Horsecast. We're going to talk about it, break it down. That I don't that, you know what's going on with the new season. The the connections with the alcoholism, throwing showing Bojack's history. Um, is that him coming to realization, or is that supposed to just be flashbacks for the fans to get? Uh, yeah. Just kidding, Quentin. We're here this week. I mean, I mean, I mean, we could do that. We could, we could, but there's so much more to talk about this week, Quentin. We are the import trillas uh, <laughs> to signify a match, most important match we're going to be talking about here later on. But I think the most important thing for us to talk about, and I'm going to really defer to you completely on this as much as you want to talk about it. And your opinion is King, the stuff with Jordan miles. uh, I'm going to let you kind of give your take on it and really not chime in. I just want to, I just want to make one kind of diatribe. One point that I thought of today while thinking about everything is that the talking points about ACH Jordan miles and his burning bridges and, being immature i'm hearing people saying this stuff even people who ride with him you know even the black wrestling podcast i heard him saying that thing why do you have to go after jay lethal you have a history of being immature all this stuff here's the thing even them even you know and and i hate to you know police them they can they can have whatever opinions they want but anybody making that point in those conversations i want to point out one person really closely linked to ach had a tag team with each other in evolve the troll boys ethan page Ethan Page, just as ridiculous. Ethan Page pops off just as much in social media, has just as much of a bad rep, but you rarely hear people talking about Ethan Page burning bridges, being immature. This is his only chance. What's he doing? Why is he risking this stuff? When Ethan Page had the issues with ROH, he goes online, he posts a long fucking diatribe about the backstage politics of ROH, right? So he's talked shit about ROH and their business practices openly online. People didn't talk the same way about Ethan Page when that was going on as they do about ACH now. Ethan Page and Evolve, same thing. Ethan Page has openly talked shit about Gabe, Evolve, the booking, everything that goes on. They were the troll boys in Evolve where they both like joked around and talked shit about the company and how they didn't like it. The person who gets the stink for having a bad attitude, ACH, not Ethan Page. Ethan Page popping off on Twitter. If you remember, retweet me IRL. 
that was someone talking to Ethan Page because he was popping off on Twitter. Was he right? Was he in the right in that moment? Yeah, sure. Sure he was. But again, it's him creating controversy, having a bad attitude. But Ethan Page gets the rep for being a locker room leader, being good for the boys, bringing other people around. ACH did the same damn thing. Remember Team ACH in St. Louis Anarchy, his young boys that he was bringing in? He's doing the same thing, bringing them around, but nobody talks about that part of ECH's rep. Nobody talks about the king of Texas helping build the Texas scene. All everybody talks about is ACH has a bad attitude and needs to learn to keep his mouth shut. Ethan Page does all the same shit, and nobody talks about Ethan Page in the same light. So I'm just going to say, maybe it's institutionalized racism. Maybe it's something that you can't, you know, you don't pick out just like because you just happen to miss it but i do think that ach gets a bad rap and a lot of it comes to the fact that he's black and people think that he needs to learn to shut his fucking mouth you know because there's plenty of wrestlers who do the same thing pick out ethan page as the example because they are friends they're closely connected and they have very similar style of being fucking loud mouths and yet you never really hear the same shit about ethan page no you're 100 right there and to me I said on Twitter that part of the whole ACH Jordan Miles t-shirt thing is it always constantly disturbs me how often I see this notion of complaining and being unfulfilled in your job being a bad thing and that you just need to suck it up and do your job. And people say that to you in other uh, fields, other walks of life, but it's just really notice- notable whenever someone with any modicum of fame complains about the position they're ran that they're constantly bombarded by weirdos in their mentions saying well how about you just go shut up and work harder as if working harder solves all of your problems in life and that's not just a ach thing it's not just a other people of colors performers thing i've seen that happen to mike bennett the revival other people i will say significantly less significantly less than i see it happen to people like ach and sasha banks and leo rush who complain online and everyone and everyone gets on them and tells them they have bad attitudes and that they're unprofessional. So you're right. So you're hitting it right on the head there. To me, is ACH 100% in the right? Is ACH overreacting a little bit? Probably. He's probably not 100% in the right and he's probably overreacting a little bit. To me, it does come down to the fact that the worst part about this is that WWE puts out a statement pretty much trying to wash their hands of this. ACH doesn't, isn't necessarily blaming them up front. He's saying somehow this shirt got through and that someone needs to be held accountable for this. All you had to do was go out there and apologize and say there was a miscommunication and that this t-shirt got approved that wasn't approved by Jordan, wasn't approved by Triple H. And you know what? Fired the guy look into the department, see what's going on, and that's it. But I think we get to bad territory here where you start to th- try to throw ACH under the bus because he wasn't trying to take the company down with them. I don't think he was trying to create this big media this big media shitstorm. I think it turns into that and you hurt ACH and you put him in this position where now he's angry and doing all these fuck WWE videos and all this stuff is when you try to throw him under the bus and say he did that. From everything ACH has said, his story checks out. The t-shirt was not black when the when it was first presented to him. It was either white or gray. When you change it into a black t-shirt, it significantly changes the tone and message of the shirt. Is it tone deaf? Yes. Do I think it was completely like trying to be racist or anything? No, obviously not. 
but it's tone deaf and that someone should have realized that. Someone should have realized, oh, this looks kind of bad here to have a black wrestler wearing this shirt that kind of this kind of that kind of looks like old car- old caricatures of what people used to uh, portray black people as. But someone should have took someone should have just took accountability for that and not have let that gone through and talked to Jordan, smooth things over, and everything would have been fine. But what you do is you throw Jordan under the bus, paint it as he's being culpable for this and here's where we get in the territory of like jordan miles trying to create this race hoax and there's people that are in the jordan miles tag on twitter saying this stuff that jordan was trying to stir up controversy and all that and he's stirring it up because he's not getting any tv time it's like come like come on man and that's the kind of territory that we're drifting off into here because for you this company decided not to take accountability and i think that's my biggest problem with it yeah like i said i'm gonna defer to you as much as i can on this one just because it's your your opinion is a little bit <laughs> higher on this than mine but uh but yeah i mean t- presenting it in the angles of the business and wrestling is probably not the right way to look at it you know what i mean like this mm. is a little bit bigger and a little bit separate from than the wrestling business and so yeah like saying he's doing this as a hoax to get attention is is ridiculous and, and super short-sighted no one's gonna, no one's gonna it's short-sighted and it's like you know these people are human beings like not everything is about whatever their profession is not everything is about that are there greedy people out there that want that their profession dominates their lives and they want to get as far ahead as possible through any means yes but at the end of the day you're human beings and you care about other things outside of your job that matter to you in real life and clearly that hurt that hurt him and put him in a position where he felt like he had to fight back and defend himself. Now, going to the Jay Lethal thing. Now, I'm not going to sit here and bring up the Jay Lethal, Taylor Hendricks stuff. But I've also heard other stuff about Jay Lethal and him not being the biggest supporter of other black people in the com- in, Ring- in Ring of Honor in their time there. And people will point, this, people point and say Jonathan Gresham has been has been a guy that Jay, Jay Lethal is going to bat for and all that. But I don't know if I feel like if you ask the other black wrestlers that have been in Ring of Honor over the last few years that have all left the company, they they all wouldn't be as complimentary of Jay Lethal. And that's all I'm going to say there. Yeah, I mean, we, who knows about that? But the, the stuff with Taylor Hendricks, yeah. And the stuff even with AJ Lee, which is not doesn't seem as bad but seemed like there was some you know maybe some improprieties there that in 2019 don't look as good <laughs> you know they just kind of don't it's funny i i went back and was listening to an old <laughs> pod blast that we had done and we were talking about mike bird and it's like a similar thing where it's like you know in in, in the new culture things are a little bit different when it comes to power dynamics and the way people look at stuff so has Jay Lethal always been the best guy? I don't know. I don't know him personally. Or, or certain things got, got got like got misinterpreted and like phrased in a weird way. Like when Mike Bird, like when it first comes out, it's like, oh, Mike Bird, like it sounds like he might have assaulted somebody. And then Pollyanna, who had made the comments about, about Mike Bird, had to go and clarify, like, no, like Mike Bird didn't do anything. He was being a bit of a weirdo. But in it. But it wasn't like crazy what he was doing, like all that. But by then, the damage was already like Mike. Mike Bird is this. Mike Bird is that. Right. 
no, yeah. And so there is, you know, a lot of stuff there. I think that, again, like I said, people need to stop and think. And, and it sucks to say, but really think, like, if another wrestler, a wrestler not of color, was in the same situation, would you say the same things? And even like I was pointing out, like, think about the representation over time. And it's just that, you know, incrementalism of, of slowly institutionalizing, you know, someone through like racial degradation over t over the time it's like when you first get exposed to ACH he's you know whatever he is but then as the stories continue to come out then you start to paint a picture and say oh this is the content of his character but how much of the stories that are coming out were informed by racial biases that are just now compounding over time so it's not proof it's not proof that actually he's one of the bad ones just because you have historical precedent it's because if all of that data set that you're basing it off of is flawed because it's coming from a you know a bigoted opinion to begin with then that doesn't really paint a true picture of the person's character you know and i think that unfortunately ach is a guy who i can't fucking blame him for being at his wits end at this point because it seems like he's tried his hardest and over the past couple of years he's become one hell of a wrestler and he still continues to have the same kind of stigma and then something like this is just way off base and ridiculously uh, uh, offensive. Also, like, yes, he missed. His, yes, he missed his flight for the show where he was probably going to wind up winning the TV title and all that stuff. No one ever excused that from him. But I don't know how you could know Ring of Honor's history with people with people with performers of color over the last few years and not look at the ACH situation a little bit more differently after seeing Cedric Moose, Leo Rush and other people like leave ring, leave ring of honor over mysterious circumstances over the last few years and not think like okay maybe we should reevaluate re this ach thing and it's not saying ach is some angel ach has definitely been a dickhead at points i don't think there's any denying that but i feel like the degree in which his reputation has gotten like slandered over the years it should it should get reevaluated just seeing you know where what ring of honor has been as a company Right, and hey, that transitions into an, another big-time story coming out right now with, with uh, Ring of Honor. And I'll give shout-out to, to Kor Wu again for... Uh, oh, hold on, hold on. Oh. Look, I gotta let Bailey's complaining right now. Oh, I gotta let her outside. Okay. Sorry about that. I wanted to get you then because I knew that would have been an easy cut.
Sorry about that. You know, problem. Bailey's barking right now, so you have to deal with that. A bit. <laughs> That's fine. And I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to get back, get up at some point to go to go get her. But all right, <clears throat> I uh, yeah. yeah, I just noticed that the time was perfect for the uh, switch the laundry. Um, sorry. Uh, do you did you have more to say about the ACH stuff, or are you okay with transitioning to the ROH stuff? Yeah, we can keep going ahead. Okay. All right. Yeah, and I mean that's a a good transition talking about the history of ROH. Is we get a, a crazy story popping off, and I'll take this time to give the shout out to a you know segment uh, producer Corwu for the the news notes of the week as always. Uh, Joey Mercury goes off on Twitter, uh, just really lambasting ROH and particularly one um, employee, G- general manager Greg. Gilland, Guyland? I'm not even familiar with this guy. Um, but, uh, yeah, how much of this did you look over? Oh, yeah, I, I pretty much read the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a lot to try to read through. Joey could Joey was a little hard to uh, read at times. He had to use a little bit of context to get who he was talking about in, in certain instances. But I've, I've read through all of it, yeah. Yeah, so... I don't know. What do you, I mean, there's some stuff in here that ranges from like, you know, petty workplace drama to like dangerous <laughs> negligence. Um, yeah. Like ROH dumpster fire. Like what, what were your big takeaways from this? That we knew this, like whether anyone had said it or not, Anyone with a brain knew that ROH was a dumpster fire for the last few years. Behind the scenes, whatever, like, you knew that something wasn't right back there. And people like BJ Whitmer, who is working with AEW now, has confirmed every single thing about this Greg guy that Joey Mercury was saying in his his storm of tweets. is negligent unprofessional deceitful terrible practices that anyone in a position like no one should be in a position of power and doing things that way and it's happening to people that you would think would get treated better you know your Jay Lethals and your Jeff Cobbs and it gets to the point of him sort of (laughs) racially abusing Bandito and Bandito's labor and, and all that Kelly being negligent with Kelly Klein's concussion and trying to downplay that even when Joey Mercury was trying to say that, Hey, Kelly Klein isn't okay. We need to take care of her. All this stuff, negligent with injuries, negligent with travel and all this stuff. And it gets to a point where someone, he just shouldn't be in power. And the fact that he is in power is just a big clown shoes moment for ring of honor. And, there's terrible there's terrible people in all these major wrestling companies. Eventually we'll probably find something out about AEW, but we've known about this from Ring of Honor, TNA, WWE for years now. For people that are in positions of power that shouldn't be because they're just there for the power and they're not actually helping anybody. And I think that's been something that we've known about Ring of Honor for some time now. And Joey Mercury putting that out there and someone that's under contract currently in Kelly Klein. I believe their current women's champion even confirming the details of all that stuff. Like, 
Ring of Honor is in a really, really scary place at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, there is the financial backing and the feeling that with Sinclair, there's there's no chance that the company goes out of business. Um, but it sounds like it. I mean, it sounds like it's being run like this weird shadow promotion because of that fact. Because the people who are the financial backers and, and the owners of the company don't have any skin in the game. So... You know, they say the cream rises to the top, but sometimes when you end up in a, in a cesspool situation, it's kind of the the underdwelling scum suckers that end up. You know, that's where you're at. So those are the people who are in charge, and that's what happens here. These kind of careerist bureaucrats who have no connection or affinity for what they're doing find a way to just leech off of the industry and and make money, and that's what's happening here. Um, guy sounds like a real piece of shit. You know, and and. It sucks for a lot of the workers who, you know, someone like Bandito who gets mentioned repeatedly throughout this, like who took this contract and and over a lot of other options and then ended up in this company where maybe he's getting paid okay, but he's much worse off for it. You got like him, someone I was thinking about before even all this stuff broke. You know, what I was thinking about the other day was PCO and he wasn't like mining your cup of tea, but it, I was just thinking, I'm like, it's so fucking stupid that he's an ROH. Like he had all this buzz. There's stuff going on. He's talking about one more big run. And then he signs with ROH and he disappears. He's got no buzz. It do- nothing matters. And everything he's doing, everything he's doing doesn't even fit in there. You know? He's getting an ROH title shot at Final Battle, but... <laughs> it doesn't make any fucking sense. None of it makes any sense. Brody King, another guy who, you know, love him or hate him, whatever you think of his, his style. You're wasting... Like, you're pretty much wasting the little amount of Marty Scurll that you're probably going to have left. Because... Right. I don't know how much longer you're gonna see you're gonna have Marty. If Marty resigns with ROH, I would be floored. Right. I'll be I'll be floored. But you've wasted the last year or so that you're gonna have that you're gonna have Marty's girl. You haven't really elevated Brody King. You did stuff with Jeff Cobb and then you just sort of abandoned it. Shane Taylor, and same thing with Shane Taylor. You were you were teasing and you were teasing the Jonathan Gresham big heel run and then it turns around and you're just gonna have him and Lethal be a heel tag team. <laughs> yeah. And that's just and that's just creatively, and that's not even talking about the inner workings and terrible backstage stuff that's been go, that's going on in ROH. And again, we knew that ROH has been a mess backstage, but Joey Mercury and even Kelly Klein and BJ Whitmer confirming it. It's like, yeah, this company is in a bad place, and I could only this would only scare talent away even further. And we already know their track track record was scaring away talent over the last like seven years. Yeah, and it's like with with Impact doing as good as it is, kind of with by way of talent, it just gave some raises to people for sticking around. From what I've heard, they're getting more and more high profile stuff. Are they is Impact perfect? No, they're booking Moose. Mike Elgin, plenty of people who have shitty and shady pasts, and, and you know, they've Sammy had Callahan. they've had they've had they've had pay issues and all that yeah. stuff. Like, and again, if Impact can find a way to incentivize people and make people stick around, and even just be decent people and realize their wrongs, or at least communicate with the talent, there's no reason why Ring of Honor shouldn't be doing that. But what happened to Ring of Honor is that once they got the Sinclair Sinclair, Sinclair Broadcasting deal, people and people got in positions of power that are just pieces of shit, and it's been a train wreck since then. Right. No. Yeah. So you got Impact sucking up that area. Now you've got, you know, NWA for whatever size they are. People can pick up dates there. Like, it's just starting to feel like why do we even need ROH 
to exist in the wrestling landscape. But again, it comes back to Sinclair has no reason to get rid of it. And so it'll just continue on as long as they feel like doing it. Uh, dumpster fires, huge, crazy dumpster fires. Of wrestling is fucking insane. I think as I speak, wrestlers are still trapped in Saudi Arabia. Is that correct? Yeah, that's still, yeah, that's still going on. Yeah, yeah that's, that's still a thing. So very interesting. You know, the captain goes down with the ship, as they say, but Vince <laughs> chartered himself a flight back <laughs> with a, a select handful of wrestlers who also... He already... He already had his. He already came there on a private plane, and I think left and left on his private plane. So, like that's not really the big issue there. The thing to me is the reports that there might have been some disagreement between Vince McMahon and the Saudi Arabia officials, and if so, that means Vince McMahon might have pissed off the Saudi Arabian government and got on his plane and left the wrestlers or other talent there to deal with it which is fucking insanity yeah it's it's crazy whatever's going on there is is fucking wild wrestling is is nuts um something positive and this is will be the start of then transitioning into a bigger conversation i wanted to have this week it's not necessarily just a news notes but a news notes to mention for the culture uh aj gray co-promoting i guess a show for gcw over wrestlemania weekend um it's going to use only wrestlers of color is as far as I understand it. I don't know if it's even being specifically saying only black wrestlers, but um, cool. It came out at a weird time, obviously, with everything that was going on with Jordan Miles, but it's definitely a cool thing. Me and you have talked quite a bit about AJ Gray already in the past. I feel like 100% the perfect guy to be the front face of this, and I, I even you know posted a tweet that he did kind of retorting someone attacking GCW uh, where he responded to them. He's a perfect front face for it because he's got a lot of built-in equity with the the Twitter and the online world, and, and he's more than willing to speak up and speak his mind and stand up. And does GCW deserve to have such a strong kind of voice and and someone kind of co-authoring, co- uh, co-signing their bullshit as AJ Gray? Probably not, but they were really smart in picking him. And I think that they really made the wise choice here. I think he's the best choice you could have for it because he'll unapologetically stand up for what he believes in online and, and, you know, in person, on the mic, wherever it is, to make to put a really good face on this um, for GCW. I don't agree with it overall. I, you know, I mean, we both, I think, have our issues with GCW as a company. Um, and I do wonder how many of these people who are getting shows named after them are getting anything really special for it. Like... And how many wrestlers are getting kind of unfortunately being paid in markdom for themselves instead of in money? Because if they're using your name to promote a show, you should probably be getting paid for that, you know? So, and paid Especially well someone it. like, it's a good question for someone like AJ Gray, where, like, the reality of AJ Gray is he's a champion in a, in a, few, in a few places, but he hasn't gotten that big prominent call yet. And he's gotten GCW, which you could argue was as prominent as it gets, but... He hasn't gotten to AAW. He hasn't gotten to PWG. He hasn't gotten things along those lines yet. And really, he should be at this point. But AJ Gray is a guy, as a guy whose price should be higher than what it is. And I'm not saying I'm not implying that I know his price. But AJ Gray should be a guy that is getting paid more. And I just hope that that GCW is doing right by him because he's a guy that very that is valuable. And when the wrestling world catches up to what his potential and markability is, 
the like just the limit is through the roof. Um, now you mentioned does GCW really deserve someone as good as AJ Gray to be the face of this thing? Probably not, but like you said, it is the smart decision. I reached I've reached out to AJ and hopefully well I'll still get the interview done because I really do want to ask him how did he feel about the shows like the Chapa City thing and slime language and all that stuff and ask him about how they're doing all these things playing off of rap culture but they weren't really booking black people or other people of color on these shows so I hope to get that and I hope that AJ would be transparent in that giving me straight up answers but it's a good it's a good look it's a good look for GCW for sure I think that's a look that they definitely needed I feel like it was GCW hearing the complaints about their about their product and making the adjustments for it you can say oh well GCW has done these theme shows in the past well between this and what were they calling it Effie like Effie's big get big vacation or something like that oh yeah yeah yeah, so they have they have the, those two shows going on over WrestleMania weekend, and you can say whatever you want about GCW possibly trying to get in people's good graces by doing stuff like that, and that's a different conversation and a probably valid one. But I think is GCW looking at everything and realizing that they're in a really prominent position right now, and with stuff that they've already done, with Slack still being someone that gets booked on a regular basis that they did need some good PR and I think that it's clear that there's going to be good PR. Am I happy for the talent that's going to be involved in the show? Am I happy for AJ Gray? Of course. But from GCW's perspective, I think I don't I'm not sure it's the most sincere thing in the world. Right. And and it is what it is. Um talking about AJ Gray and and what he's trying to do and his kind of importance, I guess you could say to the culture for the culture as he's doing this show here and uh in general um it's kind of like maybe aj gray isn't the the number one guy for this particular part of the conversation that i wanted to have with you but kind of he is he's probably in the upper level of this of like they talk about all the stars are getting signed up there's no talent there's no stars left in in wrestling but if i feel like the, the 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 wrestling landscape is I mean, it constantly replenishes itself. And one particular match that stood out to me this past week is like a great example of that. Um, or yeah, this past week, I guess, uh, was the death match between you know Elliot Taylor and Judas Icarus that happened in ECCW Halloween Hell. Uh, they had a death match, and I mean, again, like I was saying, like you talk about that the talent just continues to come from everywhere, all over the place, and replenish its the scene replenishes itself. These guys had a barn burner of a fucking match here. It was amazing. And even it felt again, like I said, it felt like new and fresh and different. And it felt like I said that there's a vanguard of wrestling that's happening to where I don't worry about the indie scene dying because there's always this new cool talent, even little dumb shit. Like the thumbtacks being in water bottles was like different and novel. You know what I mean? And unique that stood out as like something that you don't see regularly and it was just kind of cool and gave this match its own feel um as i was watching it and these guys have a history with each other as both a tag team and as rivals and 
you know, we did it with the the Aussie Open comparing them to uh, Steen and Generico in the past. And, uh, you know, I don't think that that was a crazy off-base comparison. And I was thinking, and I was like, oh, you don't want to just continue to make, you know, make that same example again. Um, but what I noticed is these guys and their interplay with each other and the way that they work as a team, their natural charismas, and then even specifically this match here, they reminded me of another famous kind of rivalry tag team people that were connected at the hip and that they kind of feel like CM Punk and Colt Cabana to me. Um, obviously Icarus is punk and, and Ellie, uh, Elliot is, uh, is Cabana. He's, he's kind of got a goofy charisma that's lovable. He's a little bit bigger. He comes across like a natural athlete more, you know, Colt Cabana was a jock. He's a big fun, loving goofy jock that the crowd just gets into Icarus feels like a natural heel much like cm punk but there's something that you can like about him he's got cocky confidence he's a shitty asshole and then their connection with each other bridges that divide that their charisma rubs off on each other to, it's infectious their their friendship and their interplay with each other uh makes them both guys that you really love and really get into you know and so i just that was the comparison as i watched this match i'm like yeah this is this feels like cabana and punk early on when they would wrestling each other when they would get booked around either tagging or wrestling each other in different places all over the, all over the and then uh and then like kind of the development of their charismas and their and their kind of leanings it's like yeah i just think elliot natural fun loving infectious jockey baby face that the crowd can just get into he's kind of funny he's kind of goofy you know with the beef mania and the beef boy thing and then icarus just being kind of shitty and smarmy and scuzzy and you just you, you kind of don't like him but you kind of do he's that lovable jerk at times just like punk so so i came out of this the match itself i thought fucking ruled they came out hot and heavy to begin with and just beat the shit out of each other and really didn't let up and then continued to come up with more intriguing and interesting spots as they built the violence over and over again against each other um yeah, I, I really loved this match, and I would highly recommend people go out of their way to find it. It's on YouTube uh, to check this out. It's a it's a, you know, a death match, and uh, it's not over gory, but it definitely feels like a death match. It feels like a, it feels like a feud under, and for some people, death match might be like a strong word. But if you think of a definitive ending, or maybe even a definitive start to a feud, that match is def- is definitely it. In you were talking, I was sitting there thinking like, man, where is he going with this Judas Icarus and Elliot Tyler comparison? And I swear to God, I thought you were going to go Davey Richards and, and Eddie Edwards. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I, I swear to God, I thought that's where you were going with that. Yeah, yeah. But, but no, CM Punk and Cabana is really spot on. And I think it's safe to say, me and you have watched these PNW scene guys and we might not be the biggest experts. I think by the time we do the top 50, we're both going to have binged a lot of the Pacific Northwest scene and all that. But me and you both see a world of potential in Judas Icarus. Yeah. And I don't want to take away anything about, about from Elliot Tyler because he was a really good, valiant baby face in this, in this match. But Judas is a guy where... One or two years, I could see Judas being the biggest star on the independent scene if he doesn't get if he doesn't get signed up and then like right away. If he gets time to put up 
put everything together in time to go over and get booked all around the country and all that. Judas is going to be a star. And I feel safe in saying that. And sometimes people will come on podcasts and they'll call their shot and they'll look bad in retrospect and we'll, and we laugh at it. But no, I feel really safe in saying that give Judas the time. If he doesn't get signed right away to whether it's MLW, Ring of Honor, WWE, Impact, AEW, whoever the fuck. If he doesn't get signed right away, Judas Icarus is going to be a really big star with a lot of options for himself on the table. And I don't think I liked the match as much as you did. I think that the inexperience showed a, a few times, but I think that's what makes it so earnest and likable is that it feels like you see you're going with these guys and seeing them figure things out as the match goes along. It's definitely the biggest match or most important match these guys have had, uh, these guys have had so far in their careers, but it, it was, it was a journey watching these guys go through this, these tag team partners of the strays, um, you know, this whole brothers turned enemies thing and all that. No, the, like some of the context and stuff was lost on me. The big guy that was interfering, I don't really know the backstory on him and all that. So I can't, I can't speak to all that, but the stuff in the ring, the facial expressions, the conversations mid match, the selling, the spots, the finish, all that. It was really, it was really good stuff. And if you're just looking to see who kids, who's going to be in that next wave of top tier independent wrestling guys, then this match really is a perfect place to start. And that Pacific Northwest scene is shaping up to be one of the areas where you will probably start seeing a lot of guys pop up and get more prominent bookings. Yeah. There's a lot more talent in the Pacific Northwest scene than just the strays, obviously, and just Dan Makabe and the, and the, the guys that we've talked about. I mean, Travis Williams, we both, I don't know if we've mentioned him on the podcast here, but Travis Williams, Travis Williams is very good. And he had, and he had a match on that same show that I liked a lot. He's got a big opportunity in the, the three, two, one battle G zero tournament. That's starting tonight as we record, actually to give that away. There's some big matches already tonight from that tournament, uh, happening. So definitely keep your eye on that. I would say people, if you you know get a chance check out the, the Twitch VOD, cause tonight's matches are going to be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, Travis Williams, I think, is taking on Dan Makabe tonight in the G Zero. So, go back and check that out because I guarantee it'll be worthwhile to see. But there's plenty of good wrestlers in the Pacific Northwest scene right now that more and more people should be paying attention to, and it's it's interesting to see the scene kind of shaping up more and more um, up there, and, and a lot of yeah, a lot of great, a lot of great wrestling action going on up there. So, Quentin, I have to admit something. I made a mistake, and uh, it's nothing I can do about it. But I watched the wrong jake lee versus kento miyahara match unfortunately <laughs> uh, there were three of them so i don't blame yeah you. i i didn't realize i had watched and it's a match that i had seen before but i was like eh, whatever um wasn't really paying attention when i started it and then now i just realized it um so you can get into it as which, much as you which, like which match which match did you see by the way the uh the the, the royal um the Royal Road Royal match, Road, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which that was what gave it away is as the match finished and Jake Lee won, and I was like, I thought this was a title match. <laughs> um, yeah, you're like, hold on. <laughs> uh, did I just what? Yeah. Um. So I was, unfortunately, that just happened, and I apologize, Quentin. Um. You oh can get no, into like, you're good. You're you good. Well, no, I was gonna say. Well, I had it on the docket, but if I'm honest, as I as I was watching the match, is you know. 
this was definitely the least of the Jake Lee versus Kento Miyahara matches that have happened this year. They met each other in the Champions Carnival final, met each other in the, in the Royal Road final, meet each other here. Uh, I forgot the exact date, but in, in October, having this title match. And I thought the Royal Road match was the best out of the three they yeah, had I this really year. And that. I will say, I really like that. Yeah, match and I will say, and I say that the least would be this October October title match. And it's just, it's just strange to me that Jake Lee just can't consistently have good matches with anyone that isn't Kento Miyahara. And it's not to say that he hasn't had good matches with anyone that's not Kento. The Junakiyama match from last year's Royal Road, the Suwama, the Suwama match from this year, the Nayanamura match from this year. He has his moments, but it seems like the only person that he consistently shows up for is Kento. And even here, it's a good match, but it's the least of what they've done so far together. And I don't know. I'm not sure if it was typical, if it was just getting Kento formula fatigue, but I'm also a guy that has Kento Miyahara as a top five wrestler of the year. So it's not exactly a fatigue thing. I just don't think the match hit the same way. I don't think Jake Lee was particularly compelling in his control segments. They kind of diverted from the typical Kento Miyahara title match formula as to where you'll usually see Kento in control for a lot of the, for a lot of these, especially when he was having the title matches with Naya Namora. And here you're seeing Jake Lee be the aggressor and really throwing Kento off his game and really being aggressive towards Kento in a way that no one really has been since Namichi Marafuji. But something about it just did, just doesn't hit the same way, isn't the same magic. I was thinking, is it the feeling of inevitability that Kento's going to that Kento's going to win and that Kento's going to beat everybody and that no one can beat him? I don't know, but. It just doesn't really hit. There's great moments in it, great striking, great forearms. I love all of that, but it just doesn't capture me the same way that their other previous two did, or even their Royal Road match from last year did, which I think is the best match they've had together. But here, it's it's good. It wasn't essential. I just wanted to throw that on there. You know, Kento's a Wrestler of the Year candidate guy. Jake Lee's a guy we've talked about on this podcast before, and. I wouldn't call it a disappointment because this year they haven't had matches that I would call great. But, you know, I expected more out of it because it's Jake Lee's big title shot. And I feel like he kind of dropped the ball there a little bit. Yeah. All right. That's fair. I mean, I can't I can't say much about the matches. I haven't seen it yet. But I will say that the uh, the Royal Royal Road uh, match. As I talked about it being pretty good, I think didn't hit any of the Miyahara kind of formula stuff, or at least it did a really good job to me of, of subverting it and not being super Kinto formula. So if this one was more, I could see why you would think it was worse for sure. Um, so I guess the only thing left tonight, uh, do, you, uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about other than really the main event of, of the evening? Is there any other topics that you had, Quentin? Uh... No, God damn it. I'm forget I'm forgetting this match. And I wanna uh, shout out our friend Simon here. But there was this big Japan tag and it was Yuji Okabayashi and one of the in the one of the big Japan young boys. I believe his last name is Kato. And uh, and it was Hideki Suzuki and one of the other ones I think Hyoto was I think Hyoto was his last name or Hyoto. So I apologize if I'm getting that wrong. But they had a really, really awesome 
tag on a big Japan show that I on a big Japan show that I was watching as I was sitting there just going through stuff and catching up and catching up on the year. You know, we're in November. Me and you were gonna be wanting to doing our top fifty, top one hundred with Brock, top one hundred with Brock and all that stuff. So I'm trying to squeeze in the things that I may that I may have missed. So I'm giving everybody a fair chance to make my list. You know, I was talking about how I was watching the Yuji Okibayashi versus Kohei Sato title match. And, you know, it's fine. Was anything particularly good? And I was disappointed in seeing these guys wrestle each other in 2019 because in 2015, that might have been one of the best matches of the year. And then I threw that on afterwards. And that tag with Okabayashi and, and Hideki Suzuki with the young boys is just fantastic. It's really mean accidental blood so if anyone's into that that that's 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 in that match too and pretty much anything you anything you want super fiery passionate Hideki Suzuki is like wrestling smart and sort of pro style with Okabayashi in the opening minutes and then the young boy and Okabayashi's team comes in and the switch flips and the bully dickhead Suzuki comes out so he wrestles smart versus Yuji. And then once the young guy comes in, he just beats the ever-living shit out of him. And I just love that complete switch and approach. And if you have the time for that, I'll check it out. By the time this podcast comes out, I'll have found the date and tell, tell people to watch it and all that. And I'll watch Fuminori Abe and Tokyo Namara versus Yuji Okabayashi and Shigehiro Irie from the tag tournament that, B, that Big Japan that Big Japan had going on. And as you could assume, based on the names that are in that match, that was really good too. So Big Japan hasn't had a really great year or anything, but there's still some hidden gems and all that stuff. So if you're interested in doing a little year rank catch up on on guys like Nomura, Okabayashi, anyone like that, you can pretty much go to any of their matches on these Big Japan shows and it'll probably be worthwhile. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, Big Japan not having... A banner a year, but definitely have stuff worth kind of picking and choosing out of there. Um, nothing, uh, yeah, nothing insane. Um, so yeah, we'll get to, like I said, the main event of the evening, obviously the episode title. I think everyone knows where we're going here. Not just that, but if you've listened to our podcast at all, you know that this match was going to be important for us to talk about. Um, I will mention the undercard slightly. Have you watched the whole OTT 5th anniversary show? Yeah, I did. Um, LJ, LJ versus Scotty Davis. Really enjoyed that. I like seeing those guys sort of, you know, take the bull by the horns there. Big spot for them. They're pretty much the second biggest match on the card. And I enjoy and I enjoyed them really taking full advantage of the opportunity. More than hype versus Grizzle Young Veterans. I mean, that that was awesome. Yeah. And, Dar- and Darren and Nathan are consistently improving. And they keep getting better and better. And I'm not sure if I ever want singles run singles run from either, from either of those guys. I think they're a great tag team, and with you know more opponents and really given that really given a chance to have the tag belts and get a run of guys to just have great matches with, they could become maybe the best tag team in the world. And I believe it was Eddie Kingston versus Terry Thatcher, right? Yep. Yeah, like that was that was good too. So. While we're obviously going to be talking about the main event from the show a lot, it was a very, very good show that OTT put on for the fifth anniversary. And particularly, you mentioned it, but the, the, the stars of the show are the More Than Hype boys. I mean, they have two of the best matches on the show, two title matches on the show. Um, and, 
they really brought it in those big situations. And Terry Thatcher and Scotty Davis, all really homegrown OTT talent, you know, and it just goes to show this was, I heard someone and I hate to not remember exactly who, I think it might've been Alan Farrell on the uh, Irish wrestling experience this week. Um, talking about how this was a big time show for them with nearly 2000 people in the building and it was built on Irish wrestling and Irish wrestlers. And it wasn't, I mean, they had some imports, they had the gorillas of destiny, but I don't know how many people are in that building for the gorillas of destiny. Really? You know, this show was built on the back of the main event and the other Irish. I will, I will say like the, the gorillas of destiny are like, oddly over now and i wonder if anyone can actually explain to me why they've gotten such big reactions on a lot of the shows they've been on this it's, year it's just a war of attrition man as as the if, you just, if, you just, if you just be, if you just beat people in a submission they'll eventually they'll eventually just accept yep. that you're just gonna keep coming over and we might as well like you now i guess right. well this is the thing so i worked in a, a retirement community in a pharmacy and uh this is one thing i noticed with you know really old people who are basically you know, going into dementia and losing their minds is that like, if you would get into a fight with them, um, the next time they would see you, they probably don't remember the fight. They just remember that they remember you. And so they think that they like you and that's why they remember you. They don't remember that the reason why they remember you is because they, you did something that they didn't like. So the next time you see them, they'll, they, they, they're like, they love you. They're super nice. And they just think you're the best person. Cause they're like, I don't remember why I remember this guy, but I must like him. And that's kind of what the Gorillas of Destiny have done to, I think, the UK wrestling scene. I think they've just, they've been there so much. Everyone knows that they exist. So now they're just accepting, like, maybe we like them. Maybe that's why we see them all the time is because we like them. Um, so are, are you implying that, like, all the European wrestling fans are, like, anciently old? Or are you implying that they have all dementia? They all, all have just dementia. have dementia. They're, they're not necessarily old, but it's just, it's very common. It happens it happens there from i don't know they eat they eat something called bangers i don't know what they are exactly but it sounds like it could be causing some kind of brain damage um so yeah the main event here i don't even care that much to talk about the match in the ring um i think that me and you probably pretty much agree on that part of it like the in-ring wrestling um yeah, I think me and you both agree that the wrestling in Star versus Devlin is very good. Maybe yeah. the maybe the best they've done. Maybe the best they've done so far together. Uh, I think we. I think me and you. We, I think me and you would both maybe be in agreement on that. Like I'm not. Yeah. I'm not even sure I really think that. But like you know, it's great. Yeah. I so to to really set the table even completely on top of that, I'll just come out and say my feeling on that is that I think it's easily their best match, and I honestly. I think that this is hands down my match of the year. I'm like okay. I'm five stars on this because I loved the way that the story came together and the execution I thought was, was downright perfect overall. So that's where the real conversation of this is because I don't think you're anywhere near that high on it because I think that you have some issues with kind of the booking and the story, right? Well, yeah, for sure. And I was thinking that maybe we might be like more in line there but but you're really throwing me off with this five stars thing so yeah, i mean that's why i didn't i i was if you noticed i've been pretty quiet about this match in the slack chat recently because i yeah you're right yeah, you're i right. wanted to save this for the podcast to really talk this out because i think it's i think i'm more in line with what i saw brock saying about it really um 
Okay. So okay. I mean, I'll let you. I'll let you kind of give your take first, because you know, so the people listening, because I already kind of know it, but I want them to know it, and then I'll kind of give you where I'm coming from on everything. So, for me, when it comes to this Star Devlin match, I experienced a real big disconnect in pretty much every aspect of this. I think a lot of it comes down to the crowd reaction. I think the crowd reaction being a little unwarranted in feeling like the crowd already chose what direction they were going to go in, which... Again, I'm not that guy. So if the crowd decide like this is what we're going to do, this is what we want to win, that's fine. But it feels like as the levels start going down from company to wrestlers to video hype man to the crowd, it feels like everyone was sort of confused here. And for Tim, that might be the beauty in it. In that everything is so jumbled up and filled with, filled with shades of gray that you know there's really nothing like that ever in wrestling history and for the exploration in that he rewards it i don't know that's just me that's me taking a stab at what might be what hits him so hard for that match but when it comes to me for that it comes across like a big jumbled mess from when devlin wins the belt back and he and star have this promo segment you can hear the crowd cheering for Star in that. So when we get to this point where Star and Devlin are doing this final hype video for this fifth anniversary match, it's getting pretty heavily implied that St- David Star is the babyface and Jordan Devlin is the heel. Okay, cool, I can accept that. But then we get into the match itself and we're getting I mean, spoiler if you haven't seen it, but David Starr eventually gets mad, goes and grabs the title belt, implies he's gonna hit Jordan Devlin, all that stuff, and then once the referee takes the belt away, David Starr low blows Jordan Devlin, and then it all hits me. This story started with David Starr being a piece of shit. It started with him being a terrible, insecure friend that couldn't bear to see his best friend do something that he couldn't do which is finally beat Walter something that has tormented David Starr for years on end at this point and Jordan Devlin was so close a hair away from putting Walter away in that tag match at Redemption that's how this story started and from, and from there it transitions into David Starr being a dick to everyone else on the OTT roster bumping into Terry Thatcher um Pile driving, pile driving, Scotty Davis, all this stuff, attacking people that had nothing to do with the Jordan with the Jordan Devlin feud, and Jordan Devlin being the confused friend of why did you do that? Nothing happened between us. If anything, you should be happy for me. All that, and they have their match. Devlin wins. Devlin goes on and beats Walter, but it feels like some sort of weird recency bias happened where everyone forgets that part of the feud. And I think I'd be more open, excuse me, I'd be more open to this shades of gray interpretation of picking who you want to cheer for and choosing your side of this war or whatever. If it didn't feel like people just don't acknowledge the fact that David Starr was a piece of shit for the first, for the 
you know, three-fourths of this feud. Let's put, let's call it like that. Three-fourths of this, David Starr is a piece of shit. And suddenly by the time the Sean, the Sean, the last Sean Ryan video comes out, it becomes David Starr is now the baby face here. And it's just really confusing and it's a mess. And I feel like it could have been executed better. OTT heard for months that David Starr was getting cheered more than Jordan Devlin at these shows. David Starr was getting really over. And at some point, they could have really changed course here. But even by the time they're in the match, they don't really change course. Jordan Devlin comes across like he's justified in everything he does in this match. Which again, if this if you're painting the, if you're kind of painting this picture that David Starr is the babyface here, then I feel like Jordan Devlin should be more outwardly heelish because everything he does is a reaction to what David Starr did to him. So how is he wrong? And that's my point throughout all this Jordan Devlin David Starr shit. Yes, Jordan Devlin is signed to a WWE contract. Yes, Jordan Devlin might have been a dick about it at points, but he's only a dick because David Starr has been a dick to him. He's suddenly going to be nice to the guy that's been tormenting him and did foul, heinous shit to him over the last year. He suddenly has to be nice to him and have nice remarks to say about him and not be mean to him. Come on now, where's the logic in that? And Jordan Devlin has been working for WWE for nearly three years at this point. January 2017. The first UK, the first UK tournament, crowning the first NXT, crowning the first WWE UK champion. Since then, Jordan Devlin has done things for WWE. Just now, the crowd is chanting, "You sold out, you sold out." At Jordan Devlin, it just rings hollow to me because it's just you just know what's recency bias in the crowd in the crowd turning because they like David Starr and all that, which again is fine. But for me, I look at the whole picture. I know the whole picture. And that stuff is still in my mind. And to know all this stuff, I just can't go completely with the story of this being some big crowning feel-good moment for David Starr. Because I remember him still being a piece of shit to Jordan Devlin. I remember him still tormenting the OTT roster. And while for some people the Shades of Grey story might really connect with them, I think it could have connected with me, but it just didn't. Going going to the going to the commentary. Agnes and Agnes and Tony caught a lot of flack online for saying things like David Starr being carried by his army of incels after uh after Davis after David Starr wins the match. And I thought it was weird because it, it was already established that Agnes was a part of the feud. He has clearly biased towards Jordan. He has no reason to not root for Jordan. And David Starr has been malicious and rude and mean towards him in the past. So, yeah, Agnes and Tony rooting for Jordan Devlin makes sense. And I actually like that. They don't like the commentary doesn't act like David Starr is suddenly this good person because he hasn't done anything that's good. Jordan Devlin has been on, been on every OTT show. He's been a good champion. He's still he's still there being, you know, the the face of the company. So why would they suddenly turn on him? So I understood that, and I didn't even have a problem with the with the commentary in that regard. But the entire presentation, the entire product, I think turned into a big jumbled mess. Where I think OTT maybe would have been better off, maybe even writing Devlin's promos or telling him where to go with these things, because I feel because if it went in a different direction than I think anyone even intended to. And if that's the case, you know, there's only so much you can do about it. Oh, David Starr was a hot hand, and he was the guy the crowd wanted. And if David Starr is still available to you, 
not under contract, available available to be booked, all that stuff. You run with the hot hand, you book David Starr. Plain and simple. But I just feel like the story got muddied in, in this, and now it doesn't hit me the same way. And it's a great match in the ring. And I'm not even saying that it won't make my like top 100 or whatever by the end of the year. It just, for me, doesn't hit because I think the story had a few hiccups and I think the crowd turning in a really unjustified way kind of soured me on it ever so slightly. My only issue with the match, with the match, the presentation, everything, is really something that, and this goes again to show like a, a lack of bias, I think, that we both have. We've, we've talked about it a bunch, about a lot of things. We really both try to be as honest as we can. This match and this setting and what they're doing scares me and annoys me for my personal politics and what I actually believe as a person because a lot of the things that David Starr says I agree with when it comes to politics and like global issues. And to see the way that this is being framed, I'm scared because when you talk about this being about shades of gray and maybe that's why I like it and why you don't, it's actually kind of in a weird way the opposite. Okay. This storyline, this angle in this match is about deceit. And my issue with my personal politics is that you're taking someone who espouses the same things that I truly believe and you're trying to put it in the frame of saying that it's being used in a deceitful manner to basically get people on your side when you don't deserve them to be on your side. And the one thing that I felt, because I get where you're coming from, that it's pretty easy to overlook everything and to say it's not being projected or presented properly. And it's really hard because a big part of the angle and the everything is the, just the crowd's reaction. And there's no way to truly give a background to just the way the crowd is reacting but the commentary made one line that really pegged everything and made it all make sense to me for the way things are being presented and like i said it scares me because i dislike the idea of presenting it this way but they said basically that this is happening david Starr is everyone in this building's favorite guy all because of words and you were kind of saying stuff in the slack about Devlin didn't do anything. And that's the thing, is that David Starr is the silver-tongued demon. And he's coming out here on a wave of socialist populism. And he's presenting, I'm going to give you all everything you want. And we're going to do it through unionization, through socialism, through collective bargaining through us working together and he even uses that kind of language to attack david's or to attack devlin saying he devlin is all about himself but i talk about us 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 devlin talks about me 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 and i agree with that sentiment when it comes to politics but then when you watch the match and you watch the things that star does he does whatever it takes to make himself win the championship 
in the end, David Starr reaps the rewards. The idea is, to me, comes out that David Starr is the champagne socialist. David Starr is the wolf in sheep's clothing. He's telling the crowd, get behind me, cheer for me, because I'll make the revolution for us. But you watch the way that he acts and the things that he does, and he continues to be a heel. So the story is, and they... I, the commentary did a, kind of a bad job with the David Koresh comparisons, but they're trying to compare him to cult leaders. And that, to me, is the story of what's happening here. And even throughout the match, Devlin is the better striker, but David's the one who busts him open with punches. You continuously see this stuff where anything that could be construed as negative and bad it's david star doing it and the few negative deceitful bad cheating things that devlin does he's really warranted in doing it's turnabout is fair play at its best and and realistically just within the confines of a professional wrestling match at its worst like realistically the whole way through that's the story that you're being told and so i get what you're saying like it i think it it feels like it's being shades of gray. You can pick whichever side you want. And it, and it feels like the commentary is, is hammering that home, but it's, you know, it's populism, which populism is, you know, equated to fascism. And it's, it's really, the idea is like, it's a negative thing. <laughs> it's not, you get to pick which side you want because they're, what they're really saying is like, for some reason, a lot of these people like this asshole who lies, cheats, steals, and does all these negative things just because he tells them that he's going to give them what he want, what they want. And so, like I said, like for personally, because it's being framed as socialism, that's a scary thing because that's a thing that kind of right wing, like politics have used to demonize socialism for years. I don't know Joe Cabre or whoever's involved in putting this storyline together is true politics. So I worry that this is like really someone getting on a hobby horse, trying to just paint socialism as a as a negative practice that's really only used by people who are trying to benefit themselves to trick you know the masses into supporting something by lying to them and saying that they're going to get what they want but but to well, well to cut you off there yeah. like i mean like i feel like i feel like jordan and Dev, i feel like jordan and star probably have a lot of input on this story i would hope so 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 that's i mean i mean that's that's how i think of it like you know jordan is you know a guy that's very much that very much is in a position where he can call out of his own shots in OTT and David Starr is one of the hottest acts in independent wrestling. And I feel like if David Starr wasn't comfortable with what was being portrayed there, that David Starr wouldn't do that. And granted, David Starr has a history of doing things and uh, putting things in the light where even if that ne- that's not necessarily his politics or who he is, he's done it before. We, we see the David Starr versus Jack Sexsmith tag team where it was presented in, well, he, as what well, he explained it in progress, they are a couple, they are an item and all that stuff, but David Starr, as far as what he said, is not a is not a homosexual man. So, it could it could be something along those lines of David Starr playing with what is real politics or real identity is. But I, I feel I feel like I feel like I feel like Devlin and Devlin and Starr do have a lot of input in what goes on. Definitely, here. and that makes sense to play into that. But to say like like I said to. to like you just said, like the idea that, that Star is more than willing to say like, well, the real David Star, the man is a, you know, a socialist activist who's pushing for betterment of everything for everyone for the good reasons. The character of David Star on OTT is using populist 
tactics to better himself, even though he's a bad guy. And that's and, and that's fine. And I and I like that. But I also think that that unfortunately it can paint socialism in a bad light, because I do think that when it comes down to this, David Starr is a heel. He's still a heel and he's going to continue to be a heel. And that's where this title reign is going, is that he's going to continue to be a heel. And it's just going to be that the crowd is going to realize it, <laughs> that they were wrong. Hopefully that's that's where I feel like the story goes, that they're, the, 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 the fans are going to realize that they were wrong about David Starr. And he's not really in this for the betterment of Irish wrestling. It's really all about David Starr. And that's where I see it going. So, so one of my points about David Starr throughout this entire We the Independent thing is just knowing the history of pro wrestling and seeing how good causes can get turned into something of a wrestling storyline or even presented in a heelish manner because you're forcing your politics on somebody. And that was a big issue that me and you had when it came to Darius Lockhart and PWX where we didn't like the fact that someone promoting Black Lives Matter was getting booked as a heel. That loves for people that are being killed due to rampant police brutality and racism. And that person is getting booed when they come out for putting their fist up. And me, like, I, that made me very, very uncomfortable. So I get where you're coming from here. But to me, I feel like the end game of the Davis Starweed Independent thing was sort of a CM Punk you stupid old man I'm a snake thing and that might that might not be right that might not be the best thing best way to go about these things but it's so pro wrestling that it's hard for me to imagine somebody passing up on a story like that because that because that's playing on people's right. emotions preying on people's real life politics and ideals and beliefs and reeling them in and then hitting them and then blindsiding them with this promo or turn of leading them on and leading them astray that I didn't really believe this and that we didn't depend it was all bullshit and all that it just wake, it just makes way too much sense from a classic pro wrestling standpoint but yeah so I, I think yeah and, and, and I'm not sure I don't know and like I said I wouldn't be I wouldn't be I wouldn't advocate for that either but that's felt like where this Davis Star thing has to end and something I thought about when watching this I talked about it when and talking about my issues with the match. But David Starr doing this to Jordan Devlin of all guys is why I have the issue I have with the rhetoric of you're with the big cap you're with the big capitalist capitalist organization that's monopolizing the pro wrestling scene and not doing anything to take care of its workers. On its head, I agree with that. Cool. Like that you can you can work that story in an interesting way. Wouldn't you agree that Jordan Devlin's like the worst possible guy to use that argument against? Because he's I mean, the guy that's on every OTT show. He's the guy that's getting his his uh his pro his proteges booked on other shows that are not in Ireland. He's facing he's facing LJ and Callum Black and Scotty Davis in prominent matches, matches that are getting buzz and giving these guys experience in big time settings. He's a guy that if you're gonna sit here and make this point about you sold out, you sold out your scene, you sold out your country, and you're leaving to better yourself, you're not helping out your country, he's like the worst guy to make that point against. And Well, hey, hey, and on top of that, one of the only things that I think I've ever agreed with Joe Lanza on, another thing that makes him a terrible person for this in the way that you're putting it, he's the MVP of NXT UK. 
So it's like, yeah, he's also on top of that, he's the only motherfucker in NXT UK who's doing good so, work. So from all from all of this, it's like I don't understand why Jordan Devlin didn't fight back more. And I think that's the problem with it I have, is that Jordan Devlin, if you're going to go for the Shades of Grey thing, which you imply on commentary about picking your side and all this stuff and this being a civil war and brother fighting brother and all this, that if you saw the direction this was going in and you clearly have enough savvy as to where you're going to put out that hype video and Jordan Devlin is still being sort of a prick in it and he's not making any real points other than, well, don't you go, go ask David Starr about how many WWE trials he had and where his real resentment comes from and all that. Okay, that's clearly painting Jordan Devlin out to be a dick. But you watch the match and David Starr is the one being a dick. If you're going to go for this thing, then you should have said, well, we should have had Jordan Devlin say. You should have put it in the notes and an outline of what you want this promo to get across. Jordan Devlin saying, how can you call me the sellout when I'm the one that's still here helping these OTT guys and getting them booked on shows? Because when I leave, there's no one here that's going to be able to carry that. There's no one here that's going to be able to do the same thing for them. I'm the only native guy that has the pull to do all this stuff. So I'm taking them with me. I got Scott. I'm, I got Scotty Davis as the progress champion. More than hyper getting progress bookings. LJ Callum, Terry Thatcher, all these guys are getting are getting buzz now, and I have to do that because that's my responsibility as the face of this company. And you could have done that, and that would have been a very valid point, and would have been a great counter to whatever this we the independent versus WWE thing that David Starr was going for there. But that's where it turns into lazy writing for me. Because you knew this months in advance, and yet you didn't change it at all. So you put this out. So you put this video out, where it's very clear that Jordan Devlin is the one that's being antagonistic. But you could have had him make coherent and good arguments against everything that David Starr was saying. So, I guess my point there, as I kind of added, you know, added to your your case for why Devlin is from your view the worst person for this was really again out of all of it to pivot to the idea that like for all those reasons i honestly think devlin is the best person for this because he's the guy that makes what star is saying the most hollow yeah. and untrue and plays into the fact that like i said he is the the silver tongue demon the fact that he's he's pulling the wool over these people's eyes he's lying he's saying things that are unfounded and what makes it even better is that devlin is like the least guy that you could say this about if he was doing the same shit with walter it's like of course yes yeah, that's say, you say true. that say that to walter travis banks all the all that and you know what yeah you're right fuck travis banks fuck walter but you make you make a really good right. counterpoint you really make a really good counterpoint and flipped it and that you know if the real story is that star is a wolf in sheep's clothing that yeah, he is the perfect guy because anyone that's seeing through Star is like, no, that's complete bullshit. Why are you falling for that? Right. And the other side of it, too, that makes it perfect is that, and this was something when you were first talking about this match and the reactions, and I hadn't watched it yet, I I almost kind of made the point, but I, I held it in at the time because I wanted to see everything and really formulate it even more. But when it comes down to it is that David Star is cool. And the crowd likes him because he's cool. It's this. It's char- oh, yeah, yeah, It's yeah, charisma. Yeah. It's it's the whole thing. But he's cool, and Devlin's not. And the way that their relationship has always been that way. And I think back to the tag team. And when I talked about it at the time, that I said I didn't really like the vibe between the tag team, and I realized it as 
as I was thinking about it right now talking to you, and it plays into this feud. The reason why I didn't like it is because it made Devlin feel goofy and subservient to David Starr. He felt like he was David Starr's little lapdog. It always felt like Devlin was looking up to and sucking up to David Starr. And the weird relationship that they had that I didn't really like, that I felt like felt forced, it was because it, it felt like like it devalued Devlin. And it made him look like he was so awestruck. And he was just, how's it going, big buddy? And he was just like so engrossed and so into David in a way that was like sycophantic. Because, because when, because when David Starr isn't there, here. Devlin is, you know, all world ass kicker. And then David Starr shows up and it's yes. like, well, hold on, hold on. What's going on here? Yeah. It's like, let's wear matching t-shirts and come out to, you know, whatever music together and hug and all of this stuff. And it just really like, yeah, it like emasculated him. And it plays into this in the angle now too. Why is Devlin not able to say these things and have good retorts and all this stuff? It's because he's just not as cool as David and he can't help but not be able to really communicate that. That's why it even works that that David's able to get him to break the rules and go for the low blow and tease using the belt, things that Devlin wouldn't normally do. But because of the way that David gets underneath his skin and really gets into him and digs into him and makes him go against the very fiber of his being that we've seen in the past in a positive. Like I talked about, as a tag team, he went against the normal... Devlin in that he was like not that ice cold killer he was showing personality he was sweet he was emotional he was nice and then now the reverse is happening where he's being willing to be underhanded and scuzzy and shitty and dirty and and can't articulate the like the real stuff like you said I'm actually here every fucking day helping everyone all this I'm doing so much because he's just he can't present it well. He can't make himself come across smoothly because David Starr, there's just something about David Starr that really gets if, into if, Devlin if, that if Devlin can't him. help. And any, like I said, yes, they could have, and they could have explored that. And maybe we are giving them too much credit, and maybe this is sort of fan wanking it here. But there is something to the, there is something to the idea of David Starr flusters Jordan Devlin so much that even when Jordan Devlin is in the right or Jordan Devlin didn't do anything wrong. He, he's so antagonized and pissed off by star that he just can't help, but try to be shitty back to him instead of realizing what stars game is and trying to flip it back on him. Instead, he tries to just be shitty and be everything that David star has been to him and not realizing that David star is turning the tables on this entire thing. Right. And I mean, to loop it into politics, it's like David star is like, you know, Trump and, and Devlin is like Hillary. It's just like <laughs> everyone knows Hillary is better. Everyone knows Trump's a piece of shit. But for some reason, certain segments of the of the fan base, the populace, the, the planet, some reason they just like they really think that David Starr means all of the bullshit that he says. And he's charismatic and he's cool. And Devlin is just kind of a nerd. And you just don't believe any of the stuff that he says because you just wouldn't want to have a beer with him or whatever, like whatever weird thing there is about it. He just doesn't come across cool. And star just has that charisma that like that swagger that people just, they, they, they want to like him, even if they kind of know that he's full of shit. So something that I did was I put out a poll asking what is, what do people think was the best star Devlin match? And I put four options. I put the Rassel pops match from, uh, September t- September second, 
2017. The homecoming match from February 17th, 2019. The Super Strong Style 16 match from May 6th, 2019. And their match we're talking about right just now from the 5th anniversary, October 26, 2019. And only got 37 votes, so not a huge sample size here. But I do think it's, not- I do think it's notable how the 5th anniversary won that poll by 75%. It crushed everything in Homecoming and Super Strong Style 16. Both wound up getting 11, 11% of the vote, 11% of the vote, respectively. And for me personally, I probably like the Super Strong Style 16 match the most out of the four out of the four I listed there. But I think why this match is translating so much, and even going to, and even hitting people that don't really watch OTT or keep up with everything that's going on there, is it does feel like a big event. It feels like a moment in time. It feels like a moment in independent wrestling history. Whether or not we'll look back on this and we'll feel the same way in a few years, who knows? But right now, it just feels like a big moment in time. From the crowd to the storytelling, the callbacks, all that. It feels like a really big moment in independent wrestling history. And it's the full five for you. And I don't really don't think we really got into that. Got into that as much as I want to yet. But you go into all this stuff about how this sort of makes you uncomfortable with the idea that David Starr might be this so might be this presenting this socialist ideal, but really he's all doing it for himself and doing it all for his gain. But is that sort of uncomfortable nature of it what makes it a five star match for you, or is it all on the in ring merit? I mean, it's everything. The uncomfortable nature is not because that was definitely a post, a real post kind of script thing that came into my head. Honestly, during the post-match celebration stuff um, was when I started thinking about that. Like, what does this mean for the idea of of his politics and being presented in a negative light? But at that point, I had already decided that this was like hands down my match of the year. And at that point, when I was making up my mind on that, I was just kind of like yeah like this is a five-star match like that there's no question and i think that when you're in a moment where you see a match after it's done that with everything involved you're saying to yourself like there's no question this is the match of the year i think that that's also one of those matches where it's like there's no question that it's five stars it Mm. just feels right you know that's how it felt so so the uneasiness is separate but the presentation the importance the, the all of that stuff was did go into why i feel the way about the match so it is both things the uncomfortability though was separate so so that is something that I'm putting aside and not letting that kind of cl- cl- like cloud my judgment of the match, really. And it's just something that's troubling to me. And, and, and it's not something that's happened, you know, yet, necessarily. I think that it has. From watching it, from watching what happened, I think that it, that, that is what's happening because I'm seeing it. But it is, I guess, a weird, like a slightly could be shades of gray because it's not explicitly been said yet. But it's hard for me to argue that that's not the way that I perceive it. You know, that's kind of the way art works, unfortunately. So, I was worried coming going out of this that this would have turned into like a David Star is the baby face by choice of the people thing, and that this would pivot into OTT as the company being presented as heels. And maybe I'm maybe I'm the one that's off base here. Again, we don't know where this is leading to, but. I, I think it's safe to say that this Jordan Devlin versus David Starr story isn't over. And yeah, some, really so th- some, and something I wanted to see 
when Walter had the OTT title and he and they were getting to Jordan Devlin working his way back up to a Walter title shot is I really wanted to see Walter run through the Irish roster and give title shots to the young guys and the homegrown guys and all that stuff and really just see him pick apart the Irish talent to until where Jordan Devlin just has to step up. And I think the opportunity is ripe right here for David Starr to do that, for David, David Starr to do that too. He has history with Terry Thatcher, has history with Scotty, has history with Callum, can do stuff with the more than hype guys, can do can do stuff with anybody on that on that roster that's Irish. And I think you can get a lot of mileage out of doing that while you work back up into Devlin maybe getting another title shot. And I guess where do you where do you think that next step is? Do you think that do you think that this story may, might have peaked? Do you think that right now we we're maybe seeing something where it's going to continue and it's going to maybe sour, excuse me, maybe sour what that feud has already accomplished? What what are you envisioning for this? I'm definitely I don't think that there's any way that this story can be over. It doesn't this doesn't this feels like a step on the path, but it also kind of plays into my my opinion of of Devlin as the the ace of of uh of Ireland. I mean, he is the Irish ace. That's not my thing. But but you know what I mean? Like he can't disappear. So the story can't be over right now. Um and I think that when you talk about like the idea that you really wanted, you know, Walter running through the the Irish I think Star fits that better that paradigm for telling that story a lot better because I think that he can work with the entire roster of OTT a lot better honestly than than Walter could because you can get so much more so many kind of different matches so many different kind of interactions different stories it's unfortunately at the time that Walter had the title it felt like there's nobody in the company that basically you wouldn't just get the same match from over and over again with Walter just working his Walter match star you can have unique, interesting matches with everyone um, throughout the throughout the the roster, and even stupid tag stuff and things. You know what I mean? You can get a lot of different kind of action throughout uh, throughout a, uh, a a a star kind of title run here. And every step of the way, I mean, anything he does with anybody in OTT now with the world title, I feel like. Devlin is still kind of casts a shadow over the entire thing. So I do think it's really important that we get back to it at some point, but I do think that we can, we can wait a while. We could take some time off and, and really build to something. So I talked about it with the, uh, the IWTV title, but star taking the OTT title. Now the world title and, and defending it around, I think could also be an interesting wrinkle. So I think, honestly, I think that this title reign and this story which really is the story of Devlin versus Star. Big picture, it always has been. I think I heard someone else talking about that recently. It's like this feud, this these interactions between these two have interwoven so many other wrestlers. But when it really, when it came down to it, throughout the entire time, uh, it always came down to these two. And I think that it will continue to be that way. I think that no matter what goes on with David Star from here until they meet again. Again, like I said, the shadow of Devlin still looms over David Starr, especially in OTT. So for you, did this make your Wrestler of the Year discussion any clearer? We, no. <laughs> so, no, it did not. So I feel like 
Star and Devlin are your top two, right? Right. And that's okay. why it makes it harder because they're both in this yeah, fucking match. Yeah. It's like, how do I make up between the two of them when they've just had the match of the year with each other? Which is fucking crazy to think about on paper when, like, your number one and two wrestlers of the year have your match <laughs> yeah. against each other. How often does no, that happen? No, it doesn't happen very often. And even then, like, God, what the fuck? Did I, I had, like, it was the year I had Zack and Okada one and two, and then the next year we got them having a couple of matches with each other. And neither of those matches wound up being my match of the year or anything. But it's just like, damn, like, now it's just like really like a, a definitive, like, all right, who's the best wrestler in the world? And then the match, and then the match, and then they're both really good in the match. And you're like, well, fuck, that didn't, that didn't solve anything. Right. Yeah. I mean, ugh, this is, it's really getting tougher and tougher to decide between the two. It's going to be really interesting um, to see where it come where I come out. I know, I kind of know which way I'm leaning, but I also, I think that that's just my gut, but I need to, I need to look at the numbers a little bit more. I need to do some of the math uh, rankings. Yeah, must have the big lap for this one. Yeah, I gotta bust it out. Death to capitalism. <laughs> For me, I think I have like, <laughs> yeah, I have, ten, I have ten guys. I actually settled down and started listing out names and all that. And I'm like, all right, okay, let me put this thing together. And I have ten people, and I still don't know who my number one is. I still, I still don't know. And David Starr has made a really good push after post that Osprey match, which again, the Osprey match wasn't even his fault. So. I don't even hold that against him or Osprey rather in a really big way, but he's come on strong with the Mercedes, with the Mercedes Martinez match. And again, here with the Jordan Devlin match, even, even if I don't love it as much as other people do, the match is still really good. And Jordan is right there too, still in contention with, for my number one, just because I feel like on an individual performance basis, he's probably been the best wrestler in the world. And going through and watching OTT, OTT stuff and all that that I might have missed. Like the LJ Cleary title match is really good. It's a really good performance from Devlin. LJ sort of throws away the back work that Devlin was doing. And it's not big. The match was good, but Devlin was doing some really good work in that. Devlin versus Jody Fleisch was really good. And it's just in every single scenario where get it, where I'm just seeing Devlin thrive. And... I think that's maybe going to be the separate the separation there between Devlin and the Star, and even then it's going to be hard to put this list together. But I feel like Devlin's maybe had the better individual performances. But if I really have to go back and look at Star again, I might flip flop on that tomorrow. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really tough because Star has so much. Oh, and it's like Devlin. Thing is, Devlin, you kind of know. It's like it's really easy to remember and know the the good Devlin performances. There's been a lot, and they're all at least a little bit more similar. But Star has so much variety that it's easier to kind of forget stuff. And then once you kind of think through it, there's there's just a lot there. So it's a tough it's a tough toss up, honestly, for me right now. It's very difficult. Um, yeah. All right, but I think I think that's it for us when it comes when it comes to that. Yeah. That's it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, what is it? Follow us on Twitter at QNTR. Uh, send us an email. Send us some questions. Tell me that I'm crazy at, uh, at QNTR at Gmail. Um, that's it from me. Quentin, anything else from you? Nope. Same thing. You already got the plugs out the way. Just thank you for listening. Go back and listen to the Timothy Thatcher episode. People seem to 
enjoy that one so you haven't listened to that please go back and give that some time if you're able to and thank you for listening